Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com. Uh, someone asked me one time, they're like, did you ever think you'd lead the kind of church that would, that would crack eggs on people's heads on Father's Day? And I said, yes, in my heart, I always knew that I would. So, uh, hey, on the way in this morning, uh, my, my eight-year-old said, dad, is, uh, is today Father's Day? And I said, yeah, it is, buddy. Do you have, you have something you want to tell me? And he said, yeah, they said it's going to be 91 today and really hot. And, uh, and then our five-year-old Mercy was like, happy Father's Day, Dad. And I was like, thank you. I actually love you. So uh, some of you dads out there, maybe I, I know how you feel. Maybe, maybe no one appreciated you today. Maybe you feel underappreciated. It happens. It's life. Uh, but I'm glad that, that we can be together and uh, glad that we get to uh, just jump into God's word and, and learn today. We're in this series, uh, Keeping Up with the Corinthians, as you know, a play on words of that wonderful show, Keeping Up with Kardashians, a uh, family that I think most of us would probably say, that, that family has a lot going on, right? That's probably a generous, nice way that I can say they've got a lot going on, right? I think we can all agree on that. A uh, little sidebar, you know that Kim Kardashian is married to Kanye. He's got a new album. I listened to it this week for all of you to save you the time. It's terrible. It's the worst album of his career, and you don't need to listen to it, okay? All right, now we can move on back to uh, the Kardashians and then the Corinthians, all right? Uh, we've, been, uh, we've been in this passage. This is a, a, a book that was written to the, the church in Corinth. This this is a, a book that uh, Paul wrote. Paul wrote most of the New Testament, and this is a church that he had planted himself. He, he, he wrote this book back to them a couple years later because he loved them, he believed in them, and he believed in their ability to live on mission. Uh, but this was a, a culture and a church that uh, definitely was defined by freedom, defined by individualism. And uh, Paul wasn't afraid to sometimes say, hey, you've got a lot of potential, but I need, to, I need to talk to you about this. I need to call you out on this. I need to remind you of your commitment to, to follow Christ. And so Paul's overwhelming concern uh, is the way that the, the church in Corinth was presenting Jesus to the world through the, the way that they were living their lives. And so a couple weeks ago, we kicked off this series, and, and our big idea was this, that following Jesus uh, sometimes is going to seem foolish by the world's standards. Last week, we were in chapter three, and we said that no one moment defines us, but every moment moment is shaping us as we try to love the world and love the people around us and live in harmony with the world around us and let people see Christ through us. And so we want to continue uh, this week. And as JJ and Sarah said, we're going to be talking about uh, lawsuits, about disagreements, about all of that fun stuff. And uh, many of you know that I'm from a couple hours north of here. I'm from Wayne County, which borders Holmes County, the largest Amish settlement in the world. It's a thriving metropolis. Uh, and let me tell you that, that we used to, we used to uh, hang out there sometimes. And I had a conversation uh, with a friend recently who was telling me about a doctor who has a practice in Holmes County. And this doctor's practice uh, is probably a, a little bit different because all of the patients are either Amish or, or what we call fence jumpers, right? People who were uh, a conservative Mennonite who've maybe left the Amish church but are, are very similar still. Uh, this doctor, everyone in his practice pays in cash, right? So there's no collections, there's no financing, there's no drama. He doesn't have to have all the staff. People just walk in with, with like $400 and they hand it to him. They're like, all right, tell me what you got, doc. The other interesting thing about this guy's practice 
is that he does not carry malpractice insurance. He's probably one of like three doctors in America that does that, but because of, of his clientele, because of his practice, uh, the, these people do not believe in suing. They do not believe in lawsuits. It's never happened, even if they're wrong, because of their beliefs, they're not going to sue him. And so he's able to make, uh, honestly, a little bit more profit, a little bit more money, and he's able to sleep at night because he's not worried that something's gonna go wrong. And I, I don't mean to bring shame to lawyers. Like I told these guys, we were joking, but, but you know that we live in a country where, where people love lawsuits, right? Where people love disagreement. And uh, I've got some, some stats here. There are 325 million people in America, and there are about 15 million civil suits every year, right? And so it's between 4 and 5% of people. Maybe there's a couple people that have two or three, but you could say that a decent amount of our people are involved in lawsuits every year. Per capita, we spend $808 on lawsuits every year, and 2.2% of our gross domestic product as a nation, as a country, goes to lawsuits and goes to disagreements. And some of you are like, yeah, but those are just stats. I don't care. So I wanted to do something that would really alert us to what this is about. And so this week I went on my good friend Google, right? And I, I Googled lawyer TV shows, judge TV shows, right? Because this is why we really want to spend our time. I'm going to read these to you. I, I, I was embarrassed to be an American as I read how many of these there are, just because we all know how Judge Judy is, right? But that's the first one. There's, there's Judge Judy, there's the People's Court, there's Judge Mathis. There's Hot Bench, there's Divorce Court, there's Judge Faith, there's Judge Hatchet, Judge Alex, Judge Rinder, Judge Jeanine Pirro, Judges America's Court with Judge Ross, Judge Karen, Justice for All with Judge Christina Perez, Judge Joe Brown, Last Shot with Judge Gunn. Get it? Shot, Gunn? Okay, you got it. All right, stay with me here. All right. Judge Maria Lopez, Street Court, Family Court with Judge Penny, Judge David Young, Moral Court, Swift Justice with Jackie Glass, and there were more, but I finally got bored and stopped. But the point point is, right, that, that there's something in our culture where we love to disagree, and we don't just love to disagree, but we like to prove in those disagreements that we're right, and we love to kind of fight with people. We have a need for justice, and I'm not trying to shame justice, and so right off the bat today, I want, I want you to know that there's a, there's a big difference between seeking your own rights and seeking rights for someone else, and sometimes there, there are people, as we fight for the poor, for the weak, for the marginalized, there are moments that we have to stand in the gap for others, and so I don't mean to say that we don't want to do that. There are movements going on right now where people need a voice that don't have a voice. It doesn't mean that we excuse sin and we expect victims to just get over it or anything like that, but I just mean to say that in America, we love conflict and we love disagreeing and we love lawsuits. And so our goal today is to look at a passage to this church in Corinth in the book of 1 Corinthians and see how Paul said, here's what it looks like to reflect Jesus to the world and settle disagreements. Here's what it looks like to reflect Jesus to the world and be able to work through your problems, be able to work through things as a believer. And so we wanna jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 1 through 11. If you've got a Bible, you can turn there. If you don't have one, there's probably one under your seat, behind your seat, in front of your seat, around your seat, somewhere there. there there's a Bible. If you want to open that up, 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 11, it's on page 873. Page 873, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. We just want to read through these verses and see Paul's advice as he gives God's word to the Corinthians. And so let me read this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, page 873 says this. When one of you has a dispute with another believer... How dare you file a lawsuit and ask a secular court to decide the matter instead of taking it to other believers? Don't you realize that someday we believers will judge the world? 
And since you are going to judge the world, can't you decide even these little things amongst yourselves? Don't you realize that we will judge angels? So you should surely be able to resolve ordinary disputes in this life. All right, so that's the first couple verses of 1 Corinthians 6, and I want to give you a little context. We don't have time to, to read the whole book. Some of you know uh, things that are going on in this book. We've spotlighted some chapters, but in chapter 5, Paul was explaining to this church what to do with, with immorality, with, with sin in the church. And this is going to sound crazy, right? But this is probably an example of why I think this parallels the Kardashians or some of this life. But in chapter 5, there was a guy who was having a sexual relationship with his stepmom, all right? And that's, that's what's being addressed in this church. And not just that it's being addressed, but this, this guy was going around and bragging about it, telling people like, hey, check it out, guess what I'm doing? And Paul had to just have a real conversation in chapter 5 where he said, hey, what's going on? Is, is not good. It's not right. It's not honoring to Christ. And worst of all, it's being bragged about. And worst of all, the, the church is doing nothing about it. And so uh, Paul was getting at the, the root of that. But he said the bigger problem is that he saw pride in this individual. He saw that this person was bragging about it. And the, 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 the sin issue was one thing. But he said the pride and wanting to, to just say, hey, I'm awesome. Check me out was even a, a deeper root issue. And so he was addressing that sometimes pride is the greatest problem that drives our sin. And Paul went on to say, this is, uh, this is something that maybe we would see in the world and it would not be a good thing, but when it's happening in the church, it has to be addressed and it has to be addressed seriously. And he was saying, sometimes as a church, you have to do what maybe you, you've known as church discipline, where a church can have a serious conversation with a person and say, we see something in your life that's not honoring to Christ. You've said that you want your life to honor Christ. And so we want to have a real conversation about this. And so that is the backdrop to this. That's the, the backdrop that Paul has already addressed that sometimes when we have a sin issue in our lives, sometimes when we're not reflecting Christ, it's being driven by our pride and our desire to brag about ourselves and, and look great. And so in chapter six, Paul kind of teaches how these small problems should be handled, but he raises this question about lawsuit. And, and when we say lawsuit, I want you to just think of this as a, as a disagreement or any situation where you need to have someone make a judgment to validate your rights, a, a situation where you want to be right. And none of us have ever had one of those, right? So we, we, we never want to be right. Okay, yeah, I, I think, all right. Some of us are like, I've never been involved in a lawsuit. I guess nothing today will apply to me, right? Okay, no, we all want to be right all the time, and we want to be validated in the way that we pride proudly, proud, proudly view ourselves. And so we want to, we want to keep unpacking this, but Paul follows this up by using this argument of, of greater to lesser, right? He says, someday believers are going to assist with judgment day, right? Now that sounds a little crazy, but there's a passage in Daniel where we're told that when God ascends his throne and, and rules for all time, we will be there with him, right? We will be there in his kingdom and we will rule with him. And so I'm not trying to make you think this is some weird video game where we're going to take over the world and judge for all time, but we know that our mighty God is going to rule for all time and we will sit beside him. And so that's what that is alluding to. Right, But we know that we live in a society that's set up a, a legal system where disagreements can be resolved in court. Right, We know that if we have a problem, we can take that to court and, and we, can, we can get that ironed out and we can take care of that and make it all right. And Paul, right off the bat, says that Christians shouldn't have to go to a secular court to decide what is right. They shouldn't have to go to a secular court to decide their differences and, and have this judgment. In fact, he begins by saying, how dare you settle this like you're a resident of this world? He says that because we know that scripture tells us that we are aliens, 
right? If, if we have given our lives to Jesus, if we are found in Christ, we are told that we're not a resident of this world any longer, but that our home is in heaven with Jesus, right? That God has left us here for a while to live on mission, to accomplish his purposes, but this world is not our home. And if we're going to claim that we're following Jesus, that we're running after Jesus, that this world is not our home, we can't act like people who call this world home. We should have disagreements that look different. We should have conflict that looks different. We should have fights that are resolved differently. And if we're going to resolve them and fight in the exact same way and go through the exact same court system, then we're going to look like people who think that this world is all we have and this world is all we have to live for. We shouldn't be settling problems like this world is our home. So as Christians, we've been told that we've been given the Holy Spirit. We've been told that we have the mind of Christ. And so why would we turn to someone who lacks the Holy Spirit, who lacks the mind of Christ, who lacks godly wisdom and say, hey, can you figure this out for me? And yet that's what we do because often we're looking to the world to tell us how to live or we know how we're supposed to live as we follow Christ and and yet we're indoctrinated by the world. We watch media from the world. We work with people from the world. We're friends with people who are in the world and over time they tell us things and we hear them and we hear them and we hear them and we think that's right. That's exactly what I should do. If I get wronged, I should handle it this way. I I need to pursue this lawsuit. I need to do this because those are my rights and that's what I have. And Paul is saying this, as we engage in conflict, We have to keep eternity in perspective, right? If we know that God has existed for all time and when we're in him, we're going to go and be with him for eternity and we're going to exist for all of time, then this time that we have on earth is a blip on the radar. I mean, imagine if I were to hold a rope up here and say, this rope represents eternity. And then I were to say, let's, let's talk about where your time on earth is, right? It would probably be like a little, a little marker line on that rope. And from three rows back, you wouldn't even be able to see it. And then if I said, this is eternity, this is God's reign, this is God's kingdom, this is God's power. Here's your time on earth. Here's that one month where someone had a disagreement with you and where your neighbor accidentally put a fence on your yard. And so you took him to court and you would say, that's a little ridiculous in light of eternity. That's a little ridiculous knowing the greatness and the fullness of God. And so as we engage in conflict, as we feel that people have wronged us, as we feel that we have a reason to retaliate and pursue judgments, we have to know that our lives should look different. And the reason that our lives and our conflict should look different is because we're looking at that in light of eternity and the greatness of God. And we can't pretend that our time on earth is the only thing that we know and see. So some questions that that we can ask. Is this shaping me into who I want to become? We said last week that, that there are moments, there are small times that we're able to shape who we are. We're able to show the world Christ in the things that we do. And so as you pursue conflict, is this moment shaping you into the person that you want to be in Christ? Not is this helping you work toward a victory? Not is this helping you work toward a settlement? Not are you going to get the payout that you want from this? Is this helping you be the person that you want to be? Does this moment and this disagreement matter in light of eternity? That's a convicting question, right? Does this disagreement that I'm having with my sibling because we've never gotten along and, and now we see each other a couple holidays a year and we just, we just clash, 
our wives don't like each other and we don't get along and we're having this disagreement and now it's turned into this family thing. Does this matter in light of eternity? Does the fact that your neighbor put a fence post on the back two square feet of your yard matter for eternity that you have to take him to the HOA and you have to make this right? And you say, well, maybe it doesn't matter for eternity. We don't like that question. So we immediately want to flip the question, right? Well, maybe it doesn't matter for eternity, but this is about my rights. This is about what was done to me. This is about how I feel. This is about my, the, the, the financial loss that I'm going to take. And sometimes I think we have to be honest. No, this is about our ego, Right? I think that's the, the, the context of the, the passage before this. Paul's saying that there's a lot of things that we get fired up about. There's a lot of things that we think we deserve. There's a lot of ways that we feel we've been wrong and we want to pursue justice for us. And it's not often about justice. It's about our ego. It's about us thinking, oh, I deserve this. This is, this is what I deserve Sometimes that's, that's not the case. As we engage in conflict, we must keep eternity in perspective. Verse four says this. If you have legal disputes about such matters, why go to outside judges who are not respected by the church? I am saying this to shame you. Just in case you thought he wasn't, right? Paul just kind of came out and said it. I'm saying this to shame you, right? He's a pretty, pretty honest guy, right? I'm saying this to shame you. Isn't there anyone in all the church who's wise enough to decide these issues? Isn't there anyone who's wise enough to judge? Now, you may not know the context there, but, but just back a couple of chapters, Paul was referencing this church was actually coming to him and saying, hey, you haven't seen us in a while, but we've really grown up. We're really wise. We're super mature, and we've got this great thing going, and we're really, really living on mission just like you'd want us to. Paul, except he, he knew the truth, right? Because he, he knew leaders in that church. He knew people that had interacted with them. He knew what was going on with them. And that's why in the first chapter, right out of the gate, he said, you need to learn to get along. This is a church that can't get along with each other and can't get along with other believers. And he said, that is a huge, huge, obvious sign that they're not spiritually mature. And yet they continue to say, no, we're mature. We're handling it this way. And he's saying, you're handling it like the world. You need to handle things differently. The way that you react and, and handle conflict has to look different because you're Christ followers. Verse six says this, but instead, one believer sues another right in front of unbelievers. He kind of gets to the point, and, and here's why this matters so much, right? Because it's not like it's just like, hey, here's a Christian, and they're suing this other Christian, and they're publicly disputing, and they've got this conflict. No, no, it's not just that. They're doing this in front of the world, and so the world is looking at these people, and the world looks at you and I, and they say, oh, you claim to be changed. You claim to be transformed. You claim to be a Christ follower. You claim that your life is different. You claim that you're walking in his spirit now. I don't see a difference. You treat your, your friends and family the same way I treat my friends and family. And you interact with people who screw you over the same way that anyone else would. And you get mad and, and you pursue lawsuits and you take things to court and your life looks exactly the same. He's telling them you're living this out in front of unbelievers and you're living this out as, as the world is watching. And so we have to ask, is the way that we're handling conflict showing Jesus to the world? Is the way that we pursue arguments and, 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 and fights with our spouse and fights with our siblings and fights in the HOA and fights with that super mom that runs the PTA and all of the things that we get bent out of shape about, does that point people to Jesus? 
as we're writing our thesis and we have that one prof who's overseeing things and we don't get along and all the other doctors in the department, they, they want us to be able to write a certain way and we're saying, this guy's wrong, this guy's an idiot and everyone else is watching you. Does the way that you're interacting with that person and that personal conflict point people to Jesus? Does it, does it let people see Jesus in your world? What Paul is saying is that Christians shouldn't take their disagreements to unbelievers in, in secular courts because he's saying, listen, these people have a different mind. They have a different way of viewing things. They're, they're not in Christ. He's saying they're not likely to be sensitive to the mind of Christ and to Christian values. And so the, the basis for going to court, if it's not to figure out what would glorify Jesus, what Jesus would want and exactly what a Christian should do, what is the point of these courts? And he's saying the point of these courts is often to stroke people's egos. It's often so that you can get revenge. And that should never be a Christian's motive. Lawsuits often harm the cause of Christ and make the church look bad, causing unbelievers to focus on problems. And so why do people look at Christians and, and, and why do they say the church is fake, believers are fake? I'll tell you why they think that. Because we often are. As I read this this week, I thought back over my life and the, the way that I've claimed to be a Christian and said that I was different and I was set apart and Christ was living in me and working in me and then I thought about the way I reflect that to the world. Do my neighbors, do they watch me and say, now there's a dad who's got it together. Do they just hear me yelling over the mower, please stop that, right? What does the world see from us that's different, that's better, that's separate? If an alien were to, to come down through the ceiling right now, right, we'd be pretty sure that that was an alien, right? We'd probably all start wetting our pants and running around screaming, right? But we would, we would instantly say, that is not of this world. Whatever that is, is different, right? Can people look at us and, and quickly say that? Can they say their marriage is different? The way that she interacts with coworkers is different. The way that they handle their finances is, is just different. It's, it's other world. The way that they look at debt is, is different. It's, it's, it's alien. The way that they parent, different. The way that they interact with their, their crazy family and their parents, who I wouldn't have patience with, is, is different. Are people able to look at the way that we handle conflict and, and say, wow, there's, there's something different? Or do we make things about our ego? Do we make things personal? Do we make things where we have to be right and we want to be right and we don't care what's going on. We just know that someone hurt us and we're going to get what, what belongs to us, what will make this better. The way that we handle conflict should reflect Christ to the world. If you remember no other line from today, I hope that you remember that big idea and I hope the next time that you're walking in conflict, the next time you feel yourself inching into a conflict, the way that you're interacting with a conflict and you're stepping into that and you just think, this has to look different. The way that I approach this, the way that I handle this, I hope that you can stop and pray and just say, Lord, I want this to reflect Christ to the world and so help me not to walk in my own flesh and my own motives, my own nature. Help me to reflect you. Verse seven of this passage says this, even to have such lawsuits with one another is a defeat for you. Why not just accept the injustice and leave it at that? Why not let yourselves be cheated? Instead, you yourselves are the ones who do wrong and cheat, even your fellow believers. I don't know about you, but when I hear that, something inside of me just thinks, all right, well, that's a little too far, Paul. 
You, okay, I get what you're saying here. Yeah, we should be warm and fuzzy and like Jesus, but I'm not gonna let people cheat me. I mean, I'm not gonna lose money over this. I'm not gonna let someone complicate my life or affect my lifestyle or my family, and yet that's exactly what is said. As soon as we've entered into some of these disagreements, and remember, it's not just lawsuits. That's just the term he's using. He's saying, why don't you just accept the injustice rather than polluting the gospel so much? Because he's saying when, when, when we get excited about this, this justice for ourselves and, 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 and making sure that people know that we've been wrong and when we're, when we're putting the attention on our ego and our pride, we've already lost sight of the gospel. We've already lost sight of the gospel that has changed us. We've already lost sight of the fact that we have no rights. We're sinners. And we choose our own way every day in every situation. We put distance between us and God and God said that he did not want that distance to be there. He did not want us to be eternally separated from him and so he sent his one and only son, Jesus. Jesus came to this world and he was perfect. He wasn't, he wasn't flawed like you and I. He, he didn't deserve punishment because of sin in his life and yet he, he went to the cross and he took the punishment that should have been for you and I and he said, I'll take this upon myself. And because of his death and burial and resurrection, he was able to take that sin and take that shame upon himself and he was able to defeat sin and death and he was able to restore a relationship between us and God the Father. He was able to build a bridge to God the Father and he's able to be that bridge that we can walk across and he says, if you know who I am, if you put your faith in me, if you trust in me, I'll remove the junk from your life and you can walk across that bridge and you can know God the Father and you can have a relationship with God the Father and you can be found in God the Father and you can have your identity in God the Father and you can be changed. But we don't deserve that. That's out, of, that's out of grace. That's out of God just wanting to do that because he loves us unconditionally. And yet we lose sight of that gospel. We lose sight of that truth. We lose sight of living in harmony and we want what we want. And this passage is saying what you need to want is for Jesus to live through you, for Jesus to be clearly seen, for the gospel to be clearly seen. And if we're being honest, sometimes demanding our own rights is contrary to what Jesus taught us when he was on this earth. I wanna just read this to you. This is Matthew chapter five. And you'll see how much this is in kind of opposition to what the world tells us about disagreements. Jesus said this, but I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. Demanding our own rights is contrary to Jesus' teaching and often the example that he left for us on the cross. It says this, he did not retaliate when he was insulted nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. I think something that we have to ask ourselves is that sometimes it, it might be better to suffer a wrong than to alienate a fellow believer. It might be, it might be just better to, to let some wrong happen to us than to show a, a terrible picture of the gospel to the world. We might have to set our own ego and our own pride aside and say, you know what? I'm not happy about that. The, the American in me is not happy about that. The person who pays HOA dues is not happy about that. 
the brother who expects better from his family is not happy about that and yet I'm going to let this wrong happen to me because I don't want to muddy the gospel. I don't want to put fog in front of the gospel. I want unbelievers and believers alike to have their eyes on Jesus and so sometimes we might have to let an injustice happen to us. Verses nine through 11 in this passage say this. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexually or or thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like this, but you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. This list basically represents some common perversions, some things that often trip people up, some sins that are not in the will of God and things that can can take people's focus off of him. And the use of of nouns, it says thieves and immoral slanderers, it kind of suggests that this isn't just a one-time thing. Some of us think like, oh man, I messed up on the way here. I did this, did I lose my salvation? No, no, no. This is kind of alluding to, to, to maybe for better or worse, a, a list and, and some examples of people who are habitually stuck in, in a lifestyle or stuck in this sin, entrenched in this sin and can't get out of these patterns of behavior. These are not temporary lapses in judgment. It would say that these people are stuck in these things. And it's saying that people who can define their lives by these things would be aliens in the, in the kingdom of God. In fact, 1 John says this, dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil who's been sinning since the beginning. But the son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Those who've been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. So now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. Whew. That's, that's sobering. That passage is not saying, hey, if you've ever messed up, you can't, you can't call yourself a Christian, right? But it's saying that there's something When we say, Jesus, I understand that you gave your life so that I could live my life for you, there's something that we should understand about that, that our life should look different. Our life should be set apart. Our lifestyle, our actions, how we live, how we interact, how we daily are on mission, and even the way that we mess up and ask for forgiveness or make that right with other people, that should look different. People should be able to look at us and see light and see righteousness. And if they can't, we have to have an honest conversation with ourselves and say, Have I really given my will and my pride and my ego to Jesus? Have I let him have every corner and every aspect of my life? This passage wasn't written so that we could think, oh, I hope I don't sin between now and the next 40 years or I might not be a Christian, but it's saying that that Jesus calls us to more. He calls us to righteousness. He calls us to lives that look like him. Lives that can, can be seen are different from this world. And if we're going to show Christ to the world, we must be willing to in some way be wronged and not fight back, right? And I know that that bothers us because we're an independent culture and we're an independent people and we deserve what we have and we worked hard for what we have. And if someone wrongs us, that's their problem, but they're not gonna do that to us. And yet if we're going to follow Christ in some way, we have to be, to be able to be wronged and, and not fight back. 
Here's the, the key issue for me. There's a couple of lenses that I, I look at the world through, right? I, I, look, at, I look at my life through the, the lens of a redhead first, right? As someone who's afraid of the sun. That's, that's my first, first lens that I always look at, right? No, we, we, look, at, we look at life as, as Americans, right? Most of us only know American culture and American life. And, and so we look at life as Americans. And some of us look at, at life as, as, as moms or dads or men or women or engineers or teachers or lawyers or whatever. And, and those lenses are, are right in front of our eye and that's good and that's how we see life and that's who God made us and that's where he has us and that's fine. But the first lens that, that we should see life through is, is the gospel. Anybody ever have those clip-on sunglasses you put on your glasses, right? You don't want to admit it, but maybe your grandparents had those back in the day, right? My grandparents used to have those and Right? If they just wore normal sunglasses, they couldn't see anything, right? Because they had cataracts or something, right? But if they had their normal glasses and they clipped on those sunglasses, they were good. We can have these things clipped on. We can, we can, we can be Americans because God put us in this country and that's a wonderful thing that he's, he's given us this freedom. But we can never have those lenses, right? Being a, being a man, being a woman, being an engineer, being an insurance salesman, be, being all of these other things, none of those things can ever be in front of our lens of the gospel. We have to say that we have no rights, we deserve nothing, we were nothing, we are nothing apart from the sacrifice of Jesus and the gift of his life to give us life. And when we're looking at life through that lens, we can probably see, hey, you know what? I need to be a little more humble. I need to be not so so excited about this injustice. I need to keep my eyes on Jesus. I need to let the world see Jesus. I need to make sure that I'm handling this conflict and, and all of this, this drama that's going on in my life and my family and my workplace and my home and my neighborhood. I need to make sure that the world can see Jesus through this. And when we're looking at life through the right lens, we can probably say, I only want Jesus to be glorified. Now, there will be moments that you'll say, I deserve this. Yeah, but this. My rights were violated. This is what should happen. This is what this person deserves. But if you're looking at the lens of the gospel and you're saying, I was nothing, I deserve nothing, and I now have everything because of the gift of my father, I'm willing to bet that you can look at that and say, I want to pass that same love on. I want to pass on that same humility. I want to pass on that same gift. So does your, does your life represent the kingdom? Does the way that you walk through conflict represent the kingdom of God? Can people see that you're an alien? Can people see that there's something different about you? Can people see that you've been transformed, that you've been changed, that you're pursuing humility and not pursuing judgments because you only want people to see Jesus? Let's pray together. God, I confess that my first reaction in life is often arrogance, is often pride, is often my rights. Lord, often when I'm judging other people, it's because I have way too high of a view of myself. I am nothing without you. We are nothing without you. Lord, Movement Church is nothing without you, and we want to confess that. We want to humble ourselves and just admit that. God, everything we have is because of your son, Jesus, and his sacrifice. Lord, he built the bridge that lets us know you and have a relationship with you, the bridge that we walk on every time we pray, every time we turn to you, every time we look to you. God, help us to live in humility. Help us to live as people 
who only want the world to see you and only want to build your kingdom. God, if we've never thought about surrendering our lives to you, Lord, I pray that this will be the day that someone in this room will do that. And if we've walked away from you or or see ourselves trapped in pride or looking at life through the lens of of arrogance or privilege, I pray that we'll lay that aside just as Jesus did on the cross. God, thanks for teaching us today. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your example. God, we humbly surrender our pride and our ego because we want to build your kingdom. We want our time on earth here to be lived on mission to glorify you. And we want people to see Christ in the way that we handle everything from disagreements to lawsuits to just general conflict. God, help us to do business with you as we pray and worship now and ask if there's any, anything that we need to set aside, any, any shred of ego or any small piece of pride that's gotten in between our, our lens of looking at you and living for you. God, help us to be honest. It's in your son's name I pray.